Welcome back to The Secret Runner, a weekly podcast in which I'll be talking to an international Ironman competitor, my secret runner, to get training tips and coaching advice for everyday runners like myself to reach their next personal best. This is our first week recording post-release, thanks to everyone who has listened so far. You can find the podcast for free on Acast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts or iTunes. We've had a couple of weeks off to deal with some logistical fallout thanks to delays in lockdown easing in the UK, but we're all caught up now. It's about time we said thanks to Hawaii Fighter Jet for writing the music for the podcast, and thanks to Hazard and Tattoo for designing the logo for us. There's a link to their website in the podcast description. Biggest thanks needs to go to The Secret Runner's wife as she's taken over as editor and is doing an amazing job of making us sound professional. So thank you so much. In this week's podcast, we're going to be completing the backstory of the Secret Runner's athletic career, finding out what I need to do at the end of my first four-week training block, and I get the Secret Runner fired up as he talks passionately about nutrition. A couple of things to note, we are not sponsored by LucasAid, Strava, Gatorade, or anybody at all, despite how often we talk about these brands. We're not endorsing any product in particular, not yet anyway. Oh, and the Foo Fighters song I listened to at the start of my running playlist Well, it's obviously Run, isn't it? From the album Concrete and Gold. That's enough for me. Let's get to it. Hello, Secret Runner. Hello, Pete. So when we last spoke, we talked about your European duathlon success and the journey that it took you on and the strange places you went to. But that's all in the past now. You are an Ironman competitor. So how did you switch up from duathlon and sprint duathlon, which is relatively short, to Ironman, which is long? Just quickly, how long does it take you to finish an Ironman? Roughly uh, about nine hours, whereas the sprint duathlon was more like 45 minutes to an hour. Okay, so you've gone from like a one hour king to an, and now you're on a nine hour course. So how did you switch up from that? Because that's a big leap. Yeah, it was. It, it it is a big leap. It's still endurance, even at sprint level. It's a bit misleading that title sprint because when you think of sprint, you think of like a ten second one hundred meters, but it's still it's still now a long way, so which is definitely endurance. Um, and at that point, I was still doing a number of hours training, even though it was an hours race. I'm doing a lot of training throughout the week, so really, the it, just the type of training had to change. So I went from doing lots of sort of high threshold work um, and high intensity work to scaling it back and so in the beginning it actually felt a lot easier because you're just concentrating on getting round at first and making sure that you can develop a diesel engine to get you round. When you mean get you round do you mean to be able to run swim cycle for for nine hours for, for as long as it takes? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got the aerobic engine, which you need to develop, which is ultimately what you're using all day long over nine hours. And then there's also all the strength and conditioning. And even if you're just doing anything for nine hours, if someone told you just to stand up for nine hours, that that's going to take strength and conditioning. So yeah, it was just preparing the body for that. I mean, that I, I made that change back in 2017. And it's it's a long journey. If you really want to peak and get the best out of yourself, it, it takes years. I mean, ultimately, I've put I've put aside 10 years to try and reach my peak at Ironman level. 
Oh, I've got many questions. Just going back, what made you want to do it? Was there any period between where you thought, I'll do longer triathlon or normal triathlon, whatever a normal one is? Or did you just go, right, I want something different? And you weren't swimming at that point either. You were just doing your bike sandwich. Uh, well, actually, I, I did, even when I was doing the triathlon, I did swim. Or did you keep swimming as part of your training? Yeah, I did. Um, because I've always swum, I enjoyed it, and it was still a good sort of like form of cross training. It's still good for the aerobic engine and everything there as well. Uh, to be honest, I'd always intended to go longer. Once I'd done everything that I'd done in duathlon, I didn't really feel the need to take steps. I go Olympic distance and then half Ironman and Ironman. I felt I felt ready at that point just to make that step. Well, duathlon was a sort of, well, an incidental side thread anyway, wasn't it? As It was, yeah. Which you did well at and enjoyed, but you, you had always said, like, you want to go back to it at some point. Yeah, I'd always wanted to go back to triathlon. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy duathlon, because I expect I'll, I'll, I'll always do duathlon races. Like, I often do them at the beginning of seasons in normal times to kind of warm up. So it's just that it became my focus for a while, more than the triathlon. But I love, with triathlon, I love the full package of a triathlon. The swim is very different. Although it's short, you don't spend as much time swimming as you do cycling and running. The swim itself is completely different. It's more like a battle. Well, it's a full full body workout, isn't it? Even your head, you've got to get that right. Like you've got to get every part of your body right. But it's more that it's more from the start point of view because it's a mass start usually and you're all around these people. The tension that that builds when you run and you're in a mass start, you might have the odd elbow or something like that. Um, and then you're off and everyone sort of breaks up and, and, and you move on. In a triathlon, when you swim and it's competitive, it is brutal. It's full, it's full contact at that point. In the in, at the beginning in the pack, shoving people out of the way to dive in. Yeah, and even to like it, again, even if it does break up a little bit, as soon as you reach the first boy, when you're turning, that again is another sort of moment where it feels like battle again because you get people dunking and like swimming over the top. Oh, really? People going over the top of other people? Yeah, people will swim over the top of other people, and you will get kicked in the face. Because you're swimming on the back of someone's legs. I feel like this is a whole separate segment we could do. We definitely need to do more on swimming because it's the thing I know least about. So you, yeah, you always said you wanted to go back to triathlon, get back to the swimming. And obviously with your history in swimming, it, it makes sense as well. And there's no, no, not much of a decision or anything just to go all the way up to Ironman. Yeah, I tell you what the um, catalyst was actually my brother had started doing a few triathlons locally in the southeast of England and he was the one who kind of put it out there and said I'm thinking of doing an Ironman. Ah and you didn't want to be outdone by your brother. (laughs) Well no it's not that at all it's just that I always knew that I wanted to move on to that. I just won the European Championships a year before I'd been to another world championships. I'd been doing that for a f- few years. It just all came at the right time again. He was up for it. I thought, what what better time to make that switch than when your brother's going to do one? 
you can go through that process together of doing your first one, which we did. We went and did uh, Copenhagen together as our first one. And that was a really special experience, not just from doing our first Ironman, but doing it together. Um, and that was lovely. We've never done one together since, um, but we've always said that we'd like to do another one together again. If we should get him a ticket for Kona, we'll do that. We'll just send him out with you. Get get the podcast listeners, all 10 of them, to split the difference and send him out too. Oh, he's coming he's coming to Kona. He'll be there to uh, cheer me on. Oh, brilliant. Oh, okay, nice. So that first one you ran, was it something you were trying to be competitive in? When I, personally, when I went to that race, I'd already set a three-year plan whereby first year, I just wanted to go, I put no pressure on myself. I just wanted to see how I matched up and compared and learn. Second year... I wanted to go for qualification for Kona, but I, again, I didn't put pressure on myself that I would do it in that year. I was just sort of stepping up and being a little bit more competitive and use what I'd learned the year before to see how close I could get to that. And in the third year was where all the pressure was, where I thought by the third year, I should be qualifying for Kona. So which year are we in now? So... 2017 was the first one in Copenhagen. Yep. I went back to Copenhagen in 2018. And then in the third year, I went to Zurich. We'll come back to that in the future, I reckon. I didn't do badly in Zurich still, but I didn't get anywhere near... I didn't get as close to qualification as I had on the last two. And at that point, I sat down with my wife and I said, this is the third year. This is the third year that I put all the pressure on myself to qualify. And she actually pushed me and said, look, why don't you go to Argentina, go and do another race this year? Um, and that's what I did. And that's when I qualified. So I actually qualified in that third year, it, which was a big ask of myself because I've also in that same year, I'd also done the long distance uh, world championships for the British team. So I'd done three long races or three iron distance races, one in May, one in July, and then another right at the beginning of December. To do more than one Ironman race a year is quite a tough ask. To do three in one year, maintain form and, and all of that. That was, um, I was particularly pleased about how I managed that from a training plan point of view and making sure that I did everything correctly or not correctly as it would be in Zurich. And this is all all your own training plan though? Yeah, it was. Well, that's good, though. You had a, a mistake or whatever, however you want to phrase it, and learned from it and then went on and qualified later that year. Oh, man, I can tell you every single Ironman race and every single training year is, uh, is you learn so much year on year. And so then 2020, everything got delayed. Would you have been running then last October then? Yeah, that's when I should have been. So I was an early qualifier. I was one of the first to qualify for Kona. And yeah, so I would have then been in October 2020 and we'd probably be sat here talking about that now. Rescheduled for this October. And is that better or worse that you got an extra year of training in? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would love to have been love to have been racing over this time, which hasn't really been possible. I guess having an extra year of training is a good thing. I guess I know more. I am a. I am. I have put a slightly different training plan in this year in comparison to last year that I think is working well for me. I've been able to take more time over it, so I would say probably all in all, maybe the advantages outweigh 
any disadvantages. I suppose that's exactly the same for everyone else, though. They've also had a year to train. Oh, yeah. So it's, that, that's, that's the difference, whether you're comparing yourself against people or whether you're comparing, trying, just trying to better yourself, as we've spoken about in earlier podcasts. Yes, which I am very guilty of doing, and you're not <laughs> guilty of doing it so much. So once again, you went from, from duathlon to triathlon, kind of casually, just riding a wave yeah the only thing i would say is that i wouldn't want that to think that i've not thought about it because i am but it's also the exact path that i always intended to take you sound like a wizard like like gandalf (laughs) he's never late he's never early he always arrives exactly when he means to yeah 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 exactly yeah i do think i'm i'm the triathlon gandalf yeah definitely the big white beard is what really does it (laughs) yeah it's just being um, aware, I guess, to what's going on. Ultimately, if you're going to do Ironman, it's a commitment. You don't want to do it when you're not ready. And so in 2017 was when I was ready. Okay, Secret Runner. So I've mentioned this briefly to you in our pre-recording chat yesterday and you pulled a face so I want to know why you pulled that face yesterday so the question I've got is about hydration and nutrition during a race and specifically how much do you really need to be smashing back the caffeine gels in a 10k or a half marathon I basically do nothing in training then eat loads of carbs the two days before and have all the Lucozade they hand out okay so what's your response to that Okay, so so I purposefully haven't tried to think about this too much more so that I can almost pick up from that face that I pulled. You want to organically rant about this because you look excited. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, that's pretty much what I do. A couple of days before, yeah, pasta, and then go for the... I mean, you train loads, you train loads, but you do nothing about hydration and nutrition in training. Then you eat your pasta, go for your run, and they pass you Lucozade. And uh, that's that's how we do it as real amateurs i mean you call yourself an amateur but it's you're not we're amateurs so i think this is a question which a lot of people will find familiar and i think a lot of people will say that yep they're guilty of doing the same and to be honest i've done it as well in the past i've absolutely done this so i'm going to break it down i'm going to take the first part of the question first so that is how much do you really need to be smashing back the caffeine gels in a 10k or half marathon so 10k or half marathon forget about the distances and go back to time i knew you were going to say that so for a 10k um i would generally say that the time it takes people to do a 10k you don't need to worry about taking on gels during you might want to take a caffeine gel or a gel 10 15 minutes before the race begins a half marathon um same you might want one just before And during a half marathon, I would say, yes, it would be good to take one on. Say, let's take the two hour half marathon runner. I would probably take one on every half an hour or every 45 minutes, depending on their gut and depending what they've done in training. Which brings me on to the next point where the person asking the question says i basically do nothing in training then eat loads of carbs two days before and have all the lucozade they hand out 
to to be fed every few kilometers there'll be a table and they just pass you it and you just take it you're like oh is that for me thanks pour some on your head drink some throw it at a bin not in the bin you throw it out of the bin it bounces off that's it and then there's seven thousand half empty lucasade bottles for your feet to get glued to the floor you kind of do it because they're there this is for you thanks i've taken it this must be what i need and then you throw it away and then you keep running nah not not necessarily at all no i just got to say though in an ironman race it's exactly the same you take on the bike section you take bottles and you take them on the move you have like litter zones where they have industrial bins dumpsters that's always part of the highlight of my race is through every aid station when I'm on the bike, whatever water bottles I've emptied, trying to throw them and trying to nail getting them in the bin whilst traveling at 40 kilometers an hour on a bike. Great fun. Anyways, um, so for everyone who thinks that they basically do nothing in training and then they take whatever they can out on the course from the aid stations, I would say to you... If you haven't done it in training when it comes to race day, don't take any then. And that goes for kit, that goes for nutrition, it goes for everything. So I've got um, someone that I'm coaching at the moment. They're training for a half marathon. And they have done a half marathon in the past, but just the one. And I am getting them to start experimenting with taking uh, nutrition on during their runs. First of all, I'll just get them to take one gel over the course of maybe a 70 or 80 minute run. And then in time, you you increase that. You just absolutely have to practice. Oh, when you phrase it like that, that makes sense. I think the first time I ever drank Lucozade was probably the first time they had Lucozade on a Bristol half marathon I ran. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, that's another point. If you if you when you start if you start to get more serious about these things, um, different races will have different nutrition and energy at the aid stations. So go to one in Bristol and it might be Lucasade. Go to one in uh, London and it might be Gatorade. So when I am going to a race, I find out months before what gels and stuff like that that they're going to be serving. And I will either decide to start using those gels and using that transition to train my gut, or I make sure that I can carry everything that I need. And that's usually what I do. So from an energy point of view, gels, I usually carry enough of what I want. I think that that answers the question very nicely. I'd just like to quickly say about um, eating loads of carbs two days before as well. If you are going to carb load, doing it in advance is good, but do it sort of like more over the whole week rather than just having one big ridiculous meal. Just try and sort of like gradually increase it over a week or so. And then certainly the night before a race, just eat absolutely normal. Now then, Pete, so we have got to the end of your first block of training. So your first four-week block of training. So you're currently on a rest and recovery week. Yep. My first question is, how have you found the first block in general? And are you enjoying your rest and recovery week? The main thing I've noticed is that week one and two, I was like, yeah, look at me, I'm doing a training plan. Oh, I'm doing really well. And then week three, I was like, oh, I'm starting to find this. Not stressful, but like, oh, this is hard work. Not the running, but like keeping up with the plan. 
And then as I was going through week three, third stride stride, I pushed it a little bit hard, hurt my leg a little bit. I thought it's cool. I've got a rest and recovery week next week and it'll feel great and it'll be good. And so, yeah, uh, I enjoyed the plan. It was nice to have it. I liked the progression of it getting harder. And then the rest and recovery week was like, okay, it was worth it. I have a little pause and then I'm, and now I'm feeling ready to, to move on to the next one. But it sounds like it was all perfectly timed then. So from what you're saying there, I'm pretty happy that, that, that the first block has worked well for you if it was at that point that you were starting to possibly tire of it, both men- mentally and physically. Yeah. And you can also take pleasure in knowing that on this rest and recovery week, the previous three weeks, you've not been getting any fitter at all. That's all happening now in this rest and recovery week. Whilst you're resting up, your body is repairing and making you fitter than you were before. That doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to believe you. It's like um, a strong man training in the gym, lifting really heavy weights. That tears their muscles and damages the muscle. Okay, So by lifting heavy weight, they're actually damaging their body. They're not getting fitter. When they go home and they rest and recover, the body repairs itself and it overcompensates and makes that muscle bigger. Mm. You get fitter when you're sat at home on your sofa than you do when you're at the gym. Okay. But you have to go to the gym or you have to go for that run in the first place. No, that makes sense. And so is that why the test is at the end of this rest and recovery week? Yeah, we've given you a number of days to recuperate. Uh, you've had a nice easy run so that we don't just go cold turkey. And then you've got your 30-minute test towards the end of the week because we want you to go for an all-out 30-minute best effort. We want to get some data around your heart rate. So, so far, we've been doing everything on rate of perceived exertion, but we want to get some good solid heart rate data, which will then feed into your next block. So as much as it's been a pain for you, holding yourself back, going nice and easy, there's two things that can happen now. One... You can let all that go on that test and you can have fun trying to go as fast as you can for 30 minutes. You're going to need to think about your pacing and be clever with that. And then the second thing is, is that you can look forward to getting some solid data um, so that when we move on to your runs over the next four week block, we can start to narrow down and be a bit more accurate with what zones you're running in and the focus of those runs using your heart rate, knowing you knowing someone who likes data, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm not going to ask too much on that. I think I'll pick it up as we go. But when I go to run all out for 30 minutes, should I be using an RPE and just aiming for like a five to seven instead or something like that? Or do I, am I just listening to my body and varying as I go? So first thing I would say is do what you've been doing in training at the moment and go on a rate of perceived exertion because that's what you're familiar with at the moment. Okay. So if you've been running recently and you know that you you think that you can hold a rate of perceived exertion for sort of six or seven for 30 minutes, then go for that. To help with that, when you're doing that 30 minute test, constantly ask yourself the question, can I hold this for 30 minutes or can I hold this to the end? If the answer is no, then obviously slow down. If the answer is yes, then you're perhaps taking it too easy. So what you want that answer to be when you're asking it is maybe. Okay. Yeah, I know. I see see what you're saying. Okay. 
my advice as well, seeing as that's your first 30 minute test, is to, to go cautiously on that first 10 minutes because you can always empty it in that last 20 minutes. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. I just need to bear in mind that I'm definitely not where I was last year and I'm, I'm going to ignore pace. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, we've changed what my watch does and it does nothing other than tell me how long I've been running, which I will stick with until you tell me otherwise. And that has made... It's made, I think it's made a big difference in my running. I obviously can't really tell without like looking at the stats and stuff. Yeah, it's a good idea to run, to have that blind for now. Obviously, when it comes to an event, we'll get a really good pacing uh, sort of like plan in place for mm-hmm. you. But right now, go on that feel. I'm quite enjoying being blind. It was a bit of a shock at first because I've always looked at pace and distance and I always worked time out the other way. It's more enjoyable and kind of pleasantly surprising when I do see on Strava or something afterwards, oh, actually, I'm not as slow as I thought or whatever. So, no, I am enjoying the time. I am enjoying doing it blind. It makes me just enjoy the fact that I'm out running. So it'll be weird again on Saturday when I go for the run to not just be running, looking at the time and going, oh, I've got to be home in five minutes. All's, all's fine. And actually pushing for the first time in a couple of weeks. And And you've not got to impress anyone this is data for you that's going to be helpful for your plan that's going to feed back into it so um enjoy the challenge of it get pumped up for it yeah listen to whatever music like gets you going and inspired yes music i shall remember to say music because that the one run you told me off for running too hard on was the only run i think i've done this block where i had headphones on ah okay there's a few songs i've got in my running playlist and one of them shake it off and <laughs> I because <laughs> my it's got a really good beat for my feet and like my cadence where it just slots into it and so when that comes on I think uh, there's a few songs like that as well and I push a little bit to fit that timing in from like it's like drumming like with the bass pedal like you've got to hit the beat each time I've, I'm just going to throw something out there to listeners please get in contact with your favourite running songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, because of, I'd love, find A, I'd like to uh, listen to some, maybe in using my, my running uh, playlists, but it is a, it really interesting, the different songs which people love. Um, I obviously have a load of uh, like energetic tracks that I listen to, but there's also one particular song which is really orchestral, uh, classical song that I don't know, for whatever reason, just gets me going during a run as well. There's a there's a Foo Fighters song that I listen. I've forgotten the name of it now, which is a nice intro, and it's the start of my playlist because it stops me running too hard, and then the drums kick in. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm warmed up now. I'm gonna go. Oh man, e- Everlong is on my running playlist as well. Yeah, that's the classic. I've got my hero in there, and when that one comes on now, I'm like, I'm not anyone's hero. I'm not doing this to impress anyone. I'm just running, and it's like a a counter argument to myself to take it easy. But one of my favourite ones is the Attack on Titan soundtrack, which is an anime series and it's all like end of the world and humans fighting against extinction. And it's this big Japanese anime, like orchestral guitars, like strings, really like epic soundtrack stuff. And that's a great one. Okay, yeah, well, we'll we'll see you next week how my... um. How my time trial went, what you think of it, and excitingly for me, you'll reveal the next four weeks of my training plan because I'm also blind to that. I don't know what's coming up the next four weeks. Okay, secret runner. 
you are ahead of me. I have just finished my my first base phase. Is that right? Yep. You've got your base period, first of all, and that is split into three four-week blocks. And you've just finished the first four-week block. Um, so you're moving on to your base phase two. And you are finishing your... You have finished your third base period. Is that correct? I've I've just finished my second and I'm um, halfway through the first week of my phase three. Okay, so you're coming to the end of your base period. Yes, I am. What follows the base period then? So after the base period comes the build. We've built that big, strong foundation, that base, and then we're going to build on top of it. That build is going to last eight weeks in total. So that'll be there'll be two build phases. And so... Are you pushing for much of an increase in pace or speed or anything across your three base periods? So the first four-week block of my base was very, very low intensity. In the second phase, I start to introduce a, a slight increase in intensity in a smattering of sessions. So I start to introduce elements of force that's going to increase muscle strength. So that was things like maybe some hills, some short, short repetitions. So for my running, I've been doing some short repetitions up steps. Okay. Um, and similarly on my bike, I've been doing some like really heavy gear, short, sharp, sort of six revolutions or in a big heavy gear. And so now into my, um, this final part of the base phase, I just develop muscular endurance even further and the force even further. So taking the intensity up higher into higher heart rate zones. Um, So yeah, some significant progress there as well as the time itself. So in that first base period, I was doing sort of like between 13 and 15 hours of training per week. In the last period... I've been doing between 14 and 18 hours of training a week. And then for this um, phase, I'll be I'll be doing sort of between 18 and 22 hours a week. Right. OK. So will that be similar in mine as well? Increasing the amount of time training? Yeah. Next week, you're going to be doing 20 hours of training. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, um, so when you move to your build then, what's the difference between... like the overall difference then between base and build so in the base phase you've been looking at increasing your fitness in the build phase you start to make the training more specific to whatever race you're doing and the demands of that race and i'll start to think about my race strategies so at that point i'll really begin to start thinking about nutrition and training my gut um, as well as my kit and everything like that um all the time maintaining everything else that I've been doing up to that point. Okay. I think that sort of makes sense. But I see now for you, there's far more to it because you've got three different disciplines that you're doing when you're out for that many hours, nutrition and the level of your kit and all that stuff's far more important for me. I could do it in any old shorts and a t-shirt and shoes. So I I, I mean, it's still, yeah, there's a lot more to think about, but we'll, it'll be good for us to talk about all of that when it comes to you, because come your build phase, 
we're going to have you um, running more at the pace that you need to run at to break that 45 minute. Yeah, okay. Do you see? Yeah. We're not we're not doing that now because we're going to do that in in the build phase. I that's the specificity for your race is that you need to be running a certain pace to break that time. So base, you're building fitness. Build, you are training for your specific race. Thank you, Secret Runner. And everyone tune in next week to find out how my time trial went and what the Secret Runner thinks of it. Thanks, Pete. And thank you to all our listeners for sticking through another one with us. Hopefully it hasn't been too much of an endurance task for you. We've covered my backstory over the last few weeks. So next week we'll be looking to move on to something a bit different. Please let us know if you've got any ideas or if there's anything you'd like us to chat about. So off you go, stay motivated and go share your secrets.